Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Today's podcast is all about money. Now, I am by no means a financial counselor, so, uh, and I'm not going to try to give any specific money advice. However, what I am going to talk about is our perspective about money. And this is something that has changed a lot for me over the past few years. And being married to a husband who's financially responsible and has, has, and has more healthy perspectives on money, um, that has also continued to help me grow in perspective. So I'm going to kind of share my process of the mindset I grew up in, um, how I took care of my money in my single years, and kind of what we're doing now and our mindset and the difference between poverty mindset and prosperity mindset. And it's probably going to be really long and really rambly, but I know that if I don't record this podcast, then I won't do it. If I wait till I know more, then it won't be this podcast. And this podcast needs to be this podcast, even with the inevitable winding verbal path. So with that very broad disclaimer, um, let me tell you and let me explain why I believe that money is like water. If you have only a glass of water and you need to cross a desert, you have to be very, very wise with how you use that limited resource until you can get to a true oasis. However, if you have a mill that is set up next to a stream and you have organized your life so that the money and the assets that you have earn more resources for you, which you can then invest in more assets, that is a much more secure place to be in. Now, a lot of times when we look at rich people, we see the externals. We see the big house, the fancy cars, we see the luxury goods, we see the expensive vacations, we see all of the, the external. But what we're not seeing is the way that they've structured their life. And we're not seeing the discipline that goes behind and underneath that. We're not seeing the work ethic that goes underneath that. And, you know, the grasses may be greener on the other side, but you're not paying for their fertilizer, you're not paying their water bill. So when we look at the way that the rich handle their money, um, to go back to the metaphor of money is like water, For a person walking through a desert to host a splash pad party with like one of those little slip and slides and like a pool, that would be extravagant and irresponsible because they can't afford that. They are on a very specific journey to try and escape the desert and try to get to a place of sustainable um, livelihood. However, if you have a mill that is set up next to a stream and you are able to grind grain and sell that and create value or and you have enough reserves, you know, you have, you know, 
20, 50 gallon jugs in storage, then, then having excess water to spend on a splash pad party or a slip and slide party or a pool party, that's, that's a totally reasonable way to spend your water because you have the extra resources to do that. And, and it is God's gift to us to enjoy this life. So it's very easy for us poor people. Um, and we're not poor, we are stable, but we're not rich by any means. It's very us for us. Um, it's very easy for the lower class to look up to that top 0.5%, 0.1%, you know, the cruises, the private airlines, and it's very easy for, easy for us to judge them. Like, well, they should use their money differently. Well, maybe, yes, and that's between them and God. Scripture tells the rich of this world to be generous in good works. It does them, not tell them to stop being rich. There is a comedy sketch called A Very Libertarian Christmas. And it's, I find it quite humorous, but my favorite line is at the very, very end. And it says, at, he says, and this is all as part of the comedy, but in me, it's genuine life advice. Abject poverty, abject poverty is the natural state of man. So the question is not, why are there poor people? The question is, why are there rich people? Now, when you change that perspective and you start looking at life asking, why are there rich people? What you start to notice is that rich people create value. Rich people have self-discipline. Rich people live on a percentage, a fraction of what they earn, and the rest of it goes into a various different long-term savings. You know the old phrase, don't put all your eggs in the same basket? Rich people not only have an emergency fund, they not only have a, a, a retirement fund, but they've got this small investment over here and this small investment over here. And that way, if one goes bad, it's only a fraction of the whole. It's not the whole itself. So now that we've talked a little bit about the differences in behavior between upper class and lower class, you know, the obvious question is, well, how, how do we get there? How do we become rich? And, you know, who doesn't want to become rich? Well, let's start with scripture. Jesus talks about money a lot in the Bible. Some people say that he talks about it more than anything else. And it's not that money is bad, quite the contrary, but Jesus's highest priority is our heart issue. So I'm going to start by reading a chapter of money that's been speaking to me a lot lately. There's definitely so many passages that are so beautiful and have so much depth and wisdom. I can only pick one, but I'm going to point you to or towards other people who can help walk you through the rest of those verses and chapters and just, oh, so beautiful. Matthew 
So I'm going to start by reading 2 Corinthians 9, which I believe I've read recently in a podcast. So just let's just call it multifunctional Bible reading because scripture has many applications. 2 Corinthians 9, New King James Version. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayers for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There is so much beauty here. And another passage that this reminds me of is actually Philippians 4. And I'll let you read that on your own. The verse that I want to focus on is, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Which is a phrase of one of the classic, well, uh, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. (laughs) Paul is famous for very, very long sentences, so I wasn't sure uh, how far that was going to go if I committed to it. (laughs) My father-in-law is a financial counselor with compassone.org. And I, the name that's coming to mind is Larry Burkett, and I should have done my research on this before that. Um, there's, a, there's a couple, and Howard Dayton is the other one. So there's a couple founders, and they kind of merged, and compassone.org is who he works with. And um, he does that for free. So I had the privilege of being a part of one of their financial Bible studies through compassone.org. And I didn't even attend the entire Bible study. I only attended about five sessions um, because that was what corresponded with when I was living at their house. (laughs) Um, 
my my in-laws let me live with them for the four months before I got married to Ben. So number one, I have the world's greatest in-laws. And number two, they are extremely generous and hospitable people. So I'm very, very thankful for them. So in those few Bible studies that I was able to participate in, I really saw Compass One focus in on how do we think about money? What does scripture say about money? I have a lot of respect for Dave Ramsey and the way that he manages his resources and teaches other people to do that. However, I think that Compass One does a better job of addressing the heart issue. And that's really what's most important to me. So, um, that's because if you're addressing the heart issue, God will show you what to do after that. You know, you can Google the results. You can call Dave Ramsey and ask him what to do after you've got your heart issue in, in fixed and Dave Ramsey can tell you what to do. So we need both. Absolutely. We need both. But if you have good practical advice about what to do, but your heart issue isn't solved, you're just going to be a person with a heart issue with more money. And at the end of the day, Jesus wants you to be a person who knows his love and loves others and has money. So not a person who has a heart issue who has money because we're kind of tired of seeing those, if I'm honest. Yeah, can I get an amen? Okay, amen. Um, but this verse, he who supplies seed of the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. One of the things that my father-in-law says is, that many people, when they're trying to be generous, and this whole chapter is about generosity, when they're trying to be generous, oftentimes they will give people their bread and eat their seed. I have totally done this. I've totally done this. Um, (sighs) However, we are supposed to eat our bread and sow our seed and then give as generously as we can after that. And so it's definitely this tightrope, you know, and and I've fallen into, there's people who they, they fall the one direction of, well, all my money's for myself, so I'm not going to give God any, I'm not going to give anybody any or anything. And it's all about me. And then there's the other extreme, which I fell into, which is, you know, God's giving me this money, but it's it's not for me, it's for him, it's for other people, I won't keep any of it, and I won't use it wisely enough, I won't save it wisely enough to be prepared, and I'll just give, and I'll trust, and I'll walk in faith. Well, while God does have more honor for that, there can also be a false sense of humility in that, which is expecting people to turn around and give to you after you have been unwise with your money. Um, So I'm guilty of that. I've seen that in other people. Um, So let me me tell you about my money journey for a little bit. So I grew up, um, both my parents were very, very frugal. And... um, my father is very good with money. He's very responsible. Um, and he showed me when I was a little girl 
he, he got out the Excel spreadsheet and he showed me the, the power of compounding interest. And that's where, you know, if you add 5% to this little amount over such a, such, you know, however many periods of time, eventually that compounding interest, the interest that you've earned starts to build more interest and more interest. And um, the, the power and the beauty of that is that the longer your money is invested in earning interest for you, then um, the more it's able to build on itself. So that concept was driven into my brain from an early age. Um, but then I, <laughs> I left home and I tried to live on $50 a week and it was really depressing. <laughs> and I, I, I got, I got mad at my family one time because they bought the Incredibles DVD back when the Incredibles came out, you know, however many years ago now. Um, and like I was at home struggling, but at the same time, my mom was stretching the grocery budget as much as she can to buy milk. So it's not like they were spending money frivolously. It's just, it's just... We were really, my, my parents also didn't understand what all was going on in that situation, so they didn't realize that I had stopped eating. So that, if you've listened to my first episode, that's what was going on there, and it was a whole cocktail of, of things that was not right, and I was mad at God, and I was mad at myself, and um, I was living in fear, and so there was a lot going on, way more than money. Money was just kind of a symptom of the time, but... Um, that experience walking through the grocery store with like seven six dollars or something and and you know returning a box of tea and honey because it was five dollars and I knew I couldn't afford that it's just oh that that was that was really painful and um thankfully I don't feel that pain anymore but it was painful in the moment um so that was kind of a a a a big challenge for me and money um, and I just remember, uh, growing up, I didn't feel like I could ask for things that I actually wanted. Um, and I didn't feel like it would, I, I felt like even if I did voice what I wanted, then no one would hear me. So, um, but that was, we, we, we've made a lot of progress since then. So, um, and granted my parents at the same time were providing money for my rent, money for my ballet training. So it's not that we weren't, it's not that we didn't have resources. It's just that we were very selective about where we spent them. And we were so frugal that it was constricting our, my mindset of what I could actually spend money on. So the next season I lived in Pittsburgh for two years and that was a whole season of therapy. Um, and that was the season where I discovered thrifting. <laughs> it was awesome. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, I discovered thrifting and I recovered and, um, my food was still pretty bad and I was hand washing all my dishes, but you know, it worked. Um, and then I moved to Florida and I was in Florida for nine years and this was an experience so Florida's really where I feel like I grew up as a person. Um, when I moved to Florida, 
I was a girl, 21, but I was still a girl. And when I left Florida at April 1st of 2017, I, I felt like a woman, a woman with serious mental health issues, but I had grown by leaps and bounds over that almost decade. So an important part of what happened, oh, and to backtrack, one of the things that happened in Pittsburgh was I started working at Starbucks and I worked probably about 17 hours a week, about three shifts. Um, and I went to ballet and Starbucks was a great learning environment for me. Um, I was basically making minimum wage, but you know, minimum wage is still more than nothing. And I was very grateful for it. And I wasn't, again, my parents were paying for my rent. My parents were paying for my phone. So I was very, very grateful for that. So, um, during that course of, of living in Pittsburgh, I saved up money to go to New Mexico and apply to the Albuquerque Ballet. And I planned that entire trip myself. And I found someone to stay with, and they were incredibly gracious. And I um, I figured out the taxi and the groceries and the plane. And the, that was a huge step for me. It was, it was really exciting. And I had saved up the money for it. Um, and then the other thing that I did was I had been working with a spreadsheet to track my expenses. And there was one bank account that my parents put money in. And then there was one bank account that I put my money into. And while I was in Pittsburgh, I switched the purposes of those two accounts. So I made the money that I put, I made the account that I put my money into the account that I paid my bills from. And then I put the money that my parent, the, I put the account, goodness, can I talk today? I turned the account that my parents put money into, into my reserve account, and I really didn't use it anymore. That was a huge shift for me, taking responsibility for my own expenses, my own living. So that was really good progress. When I moved to Florida, I, again, went looking for a job. Anytime I move, I find a church, I find a Bible study, I find a library, and, you know, I find a job. Except for this past season where my, my work is being a wife and being an artist. But same thing, I'm very committed to my job and my ministry and my artwork. So, so I found a job and um, while I was in Florida, no. Okay, I was fired from Starbucks because I was passive-aggressive. Um, I got fired from Walden Books because I was, I wasn't stealing from the business, but I was being dishonest. And I wasn't stealing hours either, I just wasn't reporting them accurately. And uh, I broke trust. And then I got fired from another place, and I broke their trust. Um, but they also asked me to do something unethical. So... All in all, it was an excellent learning experience. Lots of it painful, but excellent, excellent learning experience. And I've definitely matured as a person. So, yes, I've been fired three times. And I'm not proud of that. Um, but 
I'm here to say that life goes on and, you know, yes, maybe you can't ever change, you know, that person's perception of you that when you did whatever dishonest thing, but God is, our God is a God of second chances and he, he is a redeemer and he will always provide a way for us to take his hand, stand up and try walking again in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So, um, Florida, I had lots of different work experience, um, for various reasons. There was a job that I quit. Um, I worked two part-time jobs after that and, um, still gave my siblings Christmas presents, which was probably a very foolish thing to do, but, um, I was just kind of, I was so broke that I couldn't think clearly, if that makes sense. Um, so I just knew I have to work, I have to work really hard, and I'll get through this. And I did, and God was very gracious, um, and, um, Yeah. God was very gracious and he gave me a landlady who was very gracious and I said there was one time when I was at work and I said, "Okay, can I pay you, you know, half here and half there and I'll get it to you." And um she was very patient with that and I was always good for my money and um I'm very thankful for that. So and I'm very thankful for her patience and I'm very thankful for God's provision. Um I remember when I moved to Florida, I I had just kind of been funding my existence on a credit card, and um, a particular week in, in Florida, I maxed out my credit card, and a few days earlier, I had cleaned someone's house, and we were all part of a Bible study. I would cleaned one woman's house, and another woman decided to pay me for it. She paid me $80 cash. Now, I was slightly tempted to go and spend that frivolously. And then a few days later, I maxed out my credit card. That $80 cash bought my groceries. So I'm very, very thankful that I was wise, that I took my time. Um, let's see, what other money stories do I have? Oh, okay. So like I said, my parents were very frugal, were very responsible, and they... From the day I was born, they started a savings fund for me, a launch fund. And uh, we took money out of that for my ballet lessons and ballet summer camps I went to because those are very expensive. Um, and by the time I got to Florida, there, there wasn't a lot in it left, but there was some. And at a certain point, um, my parents transferred ownership of that account over to me and um, they recommended that I roll that account into a Roth IRA. Now, a Roth IRA is where you put money in tax-free and you're, the, the concept is that it's a retirement savings and you, you accrue interest. Um, although I, I went for a money market, which is extremely stable and doesn't really collect interest. Um, hasn't for me. So it's mostly been a savings account. Um, 
but anyway, so the, the Roth IRA, you put money in tax-free, and then after a certain age, maybe 60, 65, I'm not sure, you're able to take money out tax-free. So that's the concept. In 2012, so I had started maybe 2009, 2010, we transferred that account to my name, and I started putting in money. And the minimum you could put in was $50 a month. So I started doing the minimum just to make progress. In 2012, I had my fifth car accident. This is just throwing into my entire life story podcast from a slightly different angle. Um, so in 2012, I had my fifth car accident. Uh, this one was not my fault. Uh, only two of the five were my fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew as soon as the airbag went off that the car was totaled. And I was pretty frustrated about that. But at this point, at that point, I kind of knew the routine of car accidents. So um, I got my car to the shop, got it towed. I got to the rental store and I got to work at my new job. It was, oh my gosh, that, that was a really rough day. Um, and my coworkers were extremely gracious with me that season because I, there were other things that I did that were immature, but oh my gosh, they were extremely gracious. Um, um, and I bought a back brace and I wore it regularly and I didn't bend and I went up and down and, you know, God is gracious and my back is, is fine. So I also was never seriously injured in a car accident, so I'm very grateful for that, and I don't take that for granted at all because I've heard horror stories. But my car was totaled. So, and there was plenty of evidence to both me, the police officer that came, and the other gentleman's insurance agent that the car accident was 100% his fault and I had the right of way. So, even down to, I had both hands on the steering wheel, and I had bag burn on my right arm. So there's physical evidence that my hand was on the wheel. So my car's totaled. Um, His insurance offered me $1,000 of payout um, in order that I wouldn't sue. In hindsight, I should have asked for two or $3,000 because you can't buy a car on $1,000. But I was young and naive and I just went with it and highly agreeable I'm a very agreeable person except when I'm not and that it takes a lot for me to be disagreeable but anyways um so (laughs) I'm a highly disagreeable agreeable person except when I'm not that's that's funny okay so um so at this point I said you know okay I need to buy a car And so my mom's looking on the internet, I'm looking kind of on the internet, and at church I walked past two people, one was in the, in the parking lot ministry, and one was in the worship ministry, and I said, hey, if you know anyone who's selling a car, point them my way, because I need to buy a car. And a day or two later, Amber messaged me and said, hey, this dude is selling his car, and... It was a godsend. And funny enough, um, 
I had seen that car days earlier and just kind of been in awe of how beautiful it was. Like totally God's provision in my life. So he wanted $5,000 cash and I had about 6000 and change in my Roth IRA. Now, like I've explained, the Roth IRA is for putting money in tax-free and then you wait until after age 60, 65, and then you take it out tax-free. If you take it out before then, you're going to pay a tax penalty. So here's what I did. I took $5,000 cash out of my Roth IRA. Come April, nine, 10 months later, yes, I paid a $300 penalty to the federal government for doing that. However, it was definitely one of the best decisions I've ever made, by far. Because I could not afford a car payment at all. I, the cost of living in Florida was so difficult and the living wage was so low. Oh my goodness. Um, and even before that, there was one year where I know I spent thousands of dollars on car repair. Thousands. And somehow God made that work. To this day, I don't know how he did it. I have no idea. And unfortunately, that was the car that was totaled. So, you know, that's kind of sad. And I just, oh my gosh, I had just bought new tires for that car. I borrowed $500 from my brother to do it. And I still had to pay my brother back the $500. But I was able to do it and God was gracious. So I'm thankful for that. $100 at a time because that's what you got to do. So, um... Payment plan. It's all about the payment plan. Oh my gosh. Speaking of payment plan. So one of the best things I ever did was I bought a latex foam mattress. Now those things are $500 and it was, that, that was definitely a, an expensive purchase for me. However, um, there was a financial service at the time that had a feature where Basically, it was, it was um, interest-free, short-term credit. And so what I did, this is one of the smarter things I've ever done in my life. Um, I, and, and technically, you could do this with a credit card. The problem is that credit cards are very easy to just swipe and count the cost later. So it's really not, it's, it's very dangerous to do that. My father-in-law likes to talk about credit cards and say you're playing with fire and a credit score is actually a debt score. At the same time, you need a credit score to buy a house, but that that's, a, that's not my specialty, so I'm going to stay over here in the part that I can talk about. Um, so what I did was I paid for the mattress through this short-term credit and then I calculated how long it was interest-free, and then I scheduled an automatic payment to that account every pay period until it was paid off. And I never, ever felt that $500 purchase. It was awesome. Now, the goal and the hope is that you would do that in advance, so then you can spend cash. But sometimes... Life is tough, and you have to figure out a way. You have to figure out a way to live, and you have to figure out, you know, like 
you have to figure out how to buy the necessities. And um, my mental health journey was really hard on my finances. Um, but at the same time, my brain wanted to die. Wanted to die. And when, when, when your brain is that, when, when your body is at that level of dysfunction, you have to do whatever it takes to, to take care of yourself. Now, granted, there is a a very important proverb in the Bible that says, the wise man, the prudent man, sees trouble coming and saves up and prepares for it in advance. That's why all these people, Dave Ramsey and Compass One alike, tell us to have a $1,000 emergency fund to start with, and then a three-month emergency fund, albeit be it three months of expenses or three months of income, you know, six months, a year. They recommend that because it is wisdom. It is about taking care of yourself so that you don't have to be a burden on others, so you don't have to be a burden on the church. Yes, the church is there for good reason. Good churches have a benevolence ministry. However, there are men and women with wisdom who are part of that ministry, and they're going to ask you hard questions. They're going to ask you and they may lend you money, but they're also going to challenge you in how you live and follow up. And if you abuse that, they're not going to give you more money. That's the, way, that's the way that society should work. Because the welfare system has zero accountability. And it's very, very sad. The government is incentivizing people to stay poor. That is abhorrent. Absolutely abhorrent. Now, if you are on welfare and if you are on food stamps, I have no judgment for you. You are in a really rough place and you are struggling inside of a system to grow out of it. And my heart just breaks for you because your financial struggler struggles are only a fraction of what is going on. You are dealing with abuse and trauma that is greater than, than you can even explain. And I'm so heartbroken just thinking about what you're going through. Part of the reason I'm making this podcast is because I want to help people make that step from poor and traumatized to secure and free. So, I'll continue with my stories. There was a season of life before I left home where... My father was fired from his job, and he was an excellent employee. It was not his fault. The company enacted a policy. (laughs) Jack Welsh of GE, I'm talking to you. Jack Welsh of GE instituted a a policy where they ranked their employees A, B, C, and all the C people got fired. Now, if you're making widgets in the widget factory, and you're making 
and you're making defective screws, I get it. I get it. However, if you're working for the Research and Development Center in Schenectady, New York, and and you happen to have a bad client that year, Ames, Iowa. Sorry, if you live in Ames, whoever lived there was really bad. But this is like decades ago. I'm dropping so many names here, I apologize to not... Well, anyways. It was a really rough season, and my father was out of work for six months. And by the grace of God, we had food on the table. Was it difficult and challenging? Yes. But my parents had enough saved that they were able to pay the mortgage, which, might I add, they built their house in the mid-1980s. I don't know what insurance rates were back then, but it was high. It was painfully difficult high. My parents were able to make the mortgage payment, pay the utilities, and put food on the table. That's all I remember. I don't remember ever worrying about moving or anything like that or having to sell stuff. But I realized that that's not the story for most of you. I had a friend who, her and her sister, if they wanted to save their money, they had to physically keep it on their body at all times. Because their father would go into their room and steal their cash. He would give them gifts for Christmas and then a few days, weeks later, he would return all of it. If you have experienced that, number one, I want to say that I am so sorry for you. And that is not love. That is financial abuse. And it is horrible. It is absolutely horrible. And that is... No place for a growing child to learn to develop a healthy relationship with money. So if you're struggling with impulsive buying and that was the childhood that you had, let me tell you something. I have no judgment for you. I have only compassion. However, I'm also here to encourage you and say that by the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ, you can choose to let him work in your heart and you can choose to have the self-discipline to save your money and you can choose to let him develop a prosperity mindset. You have to let him change you. With that said, I will continue my collection of stories. So, the last tidbit of my car purchase was that all the money that was left in that account in that Roth IRA was the money that I had started to to deposit. If I had not done that, I would have had to take all the money out and close the account. However, I am very happy to say that I continued my deposits in that account, and when I got married to Ben... I had, and I still have, $4,000 sitting in that account. One of the things that 
I'm doing this podcast is I'm talking a lot about exact numbers and specific data. One of the things that Ben heard recently was that rich people are not embarrassed to talk about money. They talk about it frankly and factually. And, you know, most of us, I don't know about you, but me, I grew up kind of in the dark where my father didn't tell us what kind of money he made. Um, He did tell me what percentage raise he got, but he wouldn't tell me, you know, starting or ending numbers. Um, So very much, I feel like the American culture is to not talk about money or dollar amounts. I think that is absolute garbage. And here's why. Because it means that the the money habits of the healthy are hidden. And then poor people are not able to learn from that. They're not, they're not able to hear, oh, I spent $500 on an excellent mattress and... It helped my back so much, and here's how I paid for that. And I say, and I paid for it $20 at a time. And, you know, if I was going to do that again today, I would get out, I would open a credit card, and I would literally put that card in the freezer so that I never spent it, or cut it up and shred it immediately. And, like, save the number in my password manager because everyone needs a password manager. Save the card in my password manager just to have it, but I would set up an automatic payment to it every pay period for 20 bucks and by the time the interest would hit on that card the the payment has already been made and there's nothing to worry about that's how i would do that today and if i don't tell you that story you're not going to know that that's an option here is one of the things that i feel very passionate about when i was a poor broke person I didn't know any better. I seriously didn't know any better. I mean, I had... Uh, I tried to get money advice from my from my church, but the particular financial advisor gave me a 8.5 by 11 budget for me to fill in, I didn't know enough of what I was spending to fill in anything besides, like, my rent and some utilities. And then he shamed me for spending money on my dance films. And I broke down crying in anger because he was... Yeah, I spent my savings on a dance film. I still have no shame in that. Lord Jesus, please help me forgive him, whoever he was. Amen. Okay. That really, really hurt. And one of the reasons that I did spend my emergency savings on my dance film, and that was the beginning of me spiraling into debt the first time. I was in debt twice. I spent my money on a dance film, and we had so many technical difficulties the, the fact that there is even Shine, a dance film, out on the internet is a miracle. Um, so I filmed Shine, and then I had a, a, a toxic manager transfer back to my store, and 
as soon as I recognized who, that he was still the same toxic dysfunctional person, I put my notice in the very next day. I gave my two weeks and I walked out the door and I got part-time work to do over the holiday season. And then, so I did that for like two, three months. And then I worked for Banana Republic for a year until that store closed. And then I worked, no, wait, yes, okay. Banana Republic for the year until that store closed. And then I worked for a yacht broker, which was a very difficult experience and incredibly unhealthy people. Very, very rich, but very unhealthy. Um, and dysfunctional and toxic and bullying. Oh my gosh, the amount of bullying in that yacht brokerage was just disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. Um, so I was there for about a year. Um, and then... But, like, towards the end, I was sitting in my car eating lunch because I had to physically get out of the building. But I was sick to my stomach with anxiety every single day. It was horrible. Um, After that, I applied to a temp agency, and they found me a job that was amazing. And I worked at that company for three years, and I still have such fondness and appreciation and love in my heart for... um, the engine repair company that I worked for. Love them dearly. So, all that to say, my my work experience has been very difficult. I've been struggling between, you know, am I going to stay in an environment that's toxic or am I going to risk leaving, you know, risk my health insurance and go out into the world making, you know, minimum wage, hourly retail, luck of the draw, commission sales. It's a fraction of a percentage, you know, and between making shine and leaving the, the shoe job where the toxic, where the toxic manager came back, I know I made the right decision. Was I in debt for a whole year or two? Yeah. Yeah. But I learned a lot and I'm still alive. (laughs) You know, I'm still alive, all the debts have been paid, and um, I'm just grateful to be here, I'm grateful to be in a healthier place now. Um, Would I have done different things differently then? Yes, I would have. I would have been more intentional about my household organization. I would have been more intentional about watching cooking videos so I could actually enjoy the food that I could eat at home, as opposed to struggling with my anorexia and thinking to myself, okay, if I go home, I don't, I'm too tired to cook. So let me go to Chipotle and get a quesadilla with barbacoa and eat that with salsa and then go home. Like, yes, it's $7. It's $8. For me, that is expensive. You know, I'm not buying designer coffee. I'm not spending money at Starbucks. Granted, I did fall into that habit of, you know, kind of binge and purge with my spending, where I would try to spend $0, and then I would be like, I've been good, and then go spend $100 an entire weekend, and go thrift store shopping, and find clothes, and, you know, buy decor and pretty things. And so, my struggle has constantly been finding the balance between all of that. (laughs) Like I said, I'm not telling you this story. I'm not recording this podcast to glorify myself in any way. I'm telling you 
where I've come from, what mistakes I've made, and hopefully they help you. Hopefully, you know, if, if you're able to identify with any of this, you know, you, maybe you can avoid future heartache. <laughs> um, so, one of the really important things and this is very much in relationship to the binging and purging that I had with my money spending. Um, I attended Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And the culture of South Florida is very, very showy. So you've got people with expensive purses and six-inch heels and perfect makeup and hair and big jewelry. Um, and just... Even even when people go to church, there's still, you can't expect people to change all at once. And so there's definitely, even at church, there's a lot of skin. There's a lot of tight-fitted clothing. Um, so it's very, very much about show and presentation. And when I was living in Florida, one of the things that I started to idolize was purses, expensive purses. Now, God was very gracious to me. He allowed me to find a $30 leather purse, white leather purse, thick leather, soft, strong handles, amazing, for $30. Killer deal. I'm still so, like, I've given that purse away now, but I'm still so thankful for the experience of owning that purse. However, that wasn't enough for me. So I was coveting a designer purse. Like, and I know, I knew how much those run because I worked at the mall. Oh my gosh. If you work at the mall, please avoid the stores that you know are bad for you. Like, just just don't walk past them. Do, like, it's like temptation. Don't look. Don't touch. Don't smell. Don't, don't even look. St- start by killing it there. Find the, the back doorway to get to your car. Don't go through the mall. Go, go through the back. Um... I wish I'd known that earlier, but here we are. Um, but I also had a lot of friends at the mall, so I would I would stand at the brush kiosk and talk to my friend um, Doris, and we. Oh my gosh, I love her so much. So, um, so I had this idolization of purses, and there was this one day I was in church, and um, I don't remember what thought went through my head but it was very arrogant and selfish and I could hear the Holy Spirit respond and say okay you need to donate $500 to a ministry get it out of your system you think you can't afford a $500 purse give that money to ministry and I was just like keep in mind I'd already made shine at this point I'm already, you know, living off of my credit card. I have just enough money to pay my rent every month. I'm that's the cycle I'm in and God's like, "You need to donate $500." Like, that's the $500 that would get me ahead, that would get me out of that cycle. But no, God is challenging me in the midst of this unhealthy behavior. He's challenging my heart attitude and he knows the best thing for me in that moment is actually to give rather than invest in self. And by the very great grace of God, I sent $500 to a ministry and it blessed them. And that was what they needed. And 
Um, from that day forward, I never struggled with coveting purses ever again. And I'm very, very grateful for that because, like, going through this life and there's so many temptations, it's like, the temptation to have a bad attitude is something that we're probably going to experience on a regular, reoccurring basis for the rest of our lives. However, any time a temptation can die and, like, all the way, that is such a gift. Oh, my goodness. That is a gift from God. And, and, and I say that with the disclaimer that you know, well, that is the ideal. That is, that is what heaven's going to be like. So if we struggle with temptation every day from here on out until we die, because we have a sin nature, you know, Jesus is, is watching us and he is rejoicing with every baby victory, every baby victory in, in, in opposition to that temptation look to Christ. Because when we look to Christ, we look at his goodness, we look at his beauty, all the things that we think we need fade out. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Why am I so tired? Why is it so hard for me to talk? My, my mental health is not great right now, guys, and we are investigating it. I'm Emotionally, I'm stable, but, um, you know, the, the human body is a very great mystery and I, I'm especially mysterious. So I'm, I've got work to do. I'm figuring it out. Here we are. Anyways, um, the really embarrassing story that I need to tell you, Lord, please remind me. <sighs> hmm. Okay. Desire for purses. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Yeah, so embarrassing. Um, so my obsession in my single days was um, fame and success. And so I was very covetous for knowledge. And um, the second time I ended up in debt, it was very specifically because I spent money. One of the great contributors was that I spent money I didn't have on a on a um, a digital course, a digital teaching course. And let me start by saying that there is so much knowledge and wisdom available, good wisdom, available on the internet for free that unless you very specifically need to learn a specific skill, for example, publishing an ebook, I need to publish an ebook here pretty soon. Um, my mother has already bought and paid for a course a digital course that will teach me how to publish an ebook and it's on my itinerary to watch that however 
if you are not in a very specific circumstance where you need to learn a specific skill, I would recommend not buying digital courses. They can be very, very good. But if you don't have the self-discipline to log in and take the time to learn from them, you'll be throwing away your money. So with that said, um, I definitely fell into the trap of being impulsive with my money. And that's who, because of where I was with my maturity at that time, that, that was my struggle. And I'm not proud of it. Um, I'm thankful that I was able to You know, occasionally I would take a hard look at my finances. Um, I wanted to ask for help, but after talking to that counselor at church who was very judgmental, um, I, I didn't want to ask for help. I was too scared, and so I just slogged through blindly making the same mistakes. Um, one of the things that I did do was... I paid, I did not let interest compound on my credit cards. Now, that is very, very important. See, the lesson that my father taught me back when I was a little kid of compounding interest can grow in your favor, that stuck with me. And I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to pay off my credit cards every month because otherwise the interest will accrue and then you'll be in a horrible spiral. And I am very thankful to say I've I have spent money on interest over the years. But between even the card transfer and those two months where it was charging me interest, I have not paid more than $500 in interest. So that is the grace of God that I did observe that wisdom and that saved me a whole truckload of heartache because compounding credit card interest is a nightmare an absolute nightmare so please 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 if you have compounding interest on your credit cards get help do it today because you are you are risking your future financial security with every day you live in passivity and my father-in-law has heard has heard too many horrible stories of people getting to retirement age and having nothing to show for it and and being dependent on you know having to work or or you know or a husband dies and he has no life insurance and now he has there is a wife there is a widow and children who are without an income how are they going to be raised who's going to pay the bills okay the mom's going to go to work now she's a single mom she's stressed out of her mind because her husband didn't prepare in advance and there's a verse in the bible and it's pretty terrifying that a man who does not prepare who a man who does not provide for his family is worse than a heathen that is in the Bible. 
and godly men are rightfully terrified of that verse. The pressure to provide for their family should weigh very heavily on them. And we as married women or as dependents and children's need children's. What on earth? We as children and wives need to respect and appreciate our husbands for facing that for us. And if they're not facing that for us, we need to fast and pray that they get their butt in gear because because God is the one. When if your husband is not providing for you, if your husband is being financially abusive, you need to look to God and you need to ask him to show you what to do because you cannot remain passive in that situation. Your children are depending on you, their mother, to be, to be wise about their future. And if that means leaving, then, then yeah, I would say a man who doesn't provide for his family, yeah, that's, yeah, that's biblical. That's a biblical reason for leaving. And it, ugh, I don't know enough about, I don't know enough and I simultaneously already know way more than I ever wanted to, but Lord Jesus, may your grace be upon us and our brokenness and the horrible, selfish, dysfunctional things that, that we as humans do that we do before you and we do to each other. Please have mercy on us, Father, and please show us how to live. In your name we pray, amen. Or if you are a man and your wife is frivolously spending money on things that you can't afford, like you need to fast and pray and you need to think about your children's future and you need to ask God to show you what to do because at the root of all the money issues, the heart is the most important. And yeah, go to Dave Ramsey for specific counsel on like, should I save for retirement or should I save up for a house deposit? Like, you know, and we actually had that question recently and there was a caller on his show and Dave's Ramsey advice, Dave's Dave Ramsey's advice was you can take a break from um, donating, donating, that's not the word I want, depositing in your retirement, like do the minimums so you get whatever match you can get from your employer, but then besides that, you know, yeah, for two to three years, you can focus on saving for a down payment, but no more than that, and then after those three years, go back to... um, saving for retirement. So yeah, go to to Dave Ramsey for very specific financial questions. Get life insurance. That sound you heard just now was me responding to my Anchor FM app telling me I'd been recording for exactly an hour. So if you're still listening, thank you so much. I hope this is blessing you. And um, there are two very specific things I want to talk about um, for the rest of the podcast. And the first of them is The Seven Money Types. That is actually the name of a book by Tommy Brown. 
who I believe is actually a pastor, if I remember correctly. And Tommy Brown went through the Bible looking for examples of how we handle our resources. And he found seven examples in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, and David. And the and what's really, really cool is that he went and talked to a rabbi kind of about it. And the rabbi, when he heard the concept, he just kind of smiled and said, yeah, those are our seven patriarchs that we all look up to. So you're just tapping into what we're already doing. And it was just, it was a really cool moment. Um, it was really cool to read how the Holy Spirit is so consistent just in various ways. So the the seven money types that each of those individuals really exhibited was, and this is in order, um, hospitality, discipline, beauty, connection, endurance, humility, and leadership. And that corresponds with the previous list of names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, and David. Now, I've not read the entire book, but I read the introduction, and I took the survey, and enough to know that I was a Jacob type. Jacob and Abraham. I am all about beauty and hospitality. Oh my goodness. I remember the first time I read the chapter on the people who handle their money with an emphasis on creating beauty in the world. I cried. I straight up cried. I felt so understood and so validated, especially when the financial counselor at my church had had no compassion for me making a sacrifice for the purpose of bringing beauty into the world. Thankfully, I have a husband who is both supportive and provides discipline. So we are putting our money in safe places and we are accountable with our spending and, you know, we go slow and steady and there's room to spend money and invest in my artwork, but we're also taking our time and doing it bit by bit. But learning that my money type was about beauty was so, so healing in that moment. And hospitality, because I want, I want to create a home that, that makes other people feel so welcomed and safe that they're able to be healed. And, and healing, healing takes place in a nurturing, safe environment. And that's, that's, one of my, that's one of my huge prayers. Man, I'm choking up. Yeah, big dreams. Big dreams connected to that very vague statement right there. Um, let's just say I have a dream house and, um, and I want to be... I both want money and I want to be responsible with it and... Um, Here's the best biblical example I have found for, oh, why am I so emotional? Here we are. Money's an emotional topic, so money is about power, you know, fights about money are, are fights about priorities. There's a lot that goes on there, so, oh, okay, I hope they're safe. 
yeah, there's, there's a noisy street outside my window. So, um, one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is the story of the woman who anointed Jesus's head with oil during the Passover. And the disciples criticized her and said, this money could be sold and given to the poor. However, Jesus defended her and said, what this woman has done will be told around the world for the rest of time in honor and memory of her. Now, you have to understand the extravagance of pouring out your life savings on the head of the risen sa- on the head of the savior of the world. And here's the thing. In that moment, Jesus said, is this woman risking a lot to do this? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. That is mind-blowing to me. And so whatever you do with your money, even if, you know, there are people who, there are missionaries who live paycheck to paycheck. There are people who do, there are people who survive and look back and don't even know how they made it through. So there are seasons to everything. And if you're comparing yourself to people who have it put together, when you're currently walking a really difficult path, you're, you're carrying a glass of water through the desert, don't judge yourself. Just keep your eyes on Christ. Keep, your, keep one foot going ahead of the other and keep carrying that glass of water and being responsible. And God is so trustworthy. He is so, so trustworthy. And I don't know about you, but I want to be trustworthy to him. I want him to look at me and say, ah, Meg, she has my best interest in her heart. And if I tell her not to do something she wants to do, she won't do it. If I tell her to do something that makes her uncomfortable, she'll do it. I'm willing to trust her with X or Y or Z, whatever it is. I think about George Mueller. I read a biography on him once. Uh, writing bio- reading biographies is one of the best ways that you can develop a healthy mindset. Um, it's not fiction, it's history. And yes, you're dealing with the prejudice or the emphasis or the bias of the uh, author or the person who compiled that biography. However, Learning from real people who came before is a game changer. And if you really, if you really want to get out of your, of, of whatever dysfunctional cycle you're in, I would recommend, I would strongly recommend, you know, obviously go to church, have a relationship with Jesus, find Christian community, learn to be a good friend. But also I recommend going to the library Getting books, getting audiobooks about healthy, godly people and learning and reading from them and the way that they lived. Read about John Adams. Read about, um, I mean, I never read about Mother Teresa, but read about Mother Teresa. Read, you know, and allow your curiosity to, to encourage you. Um, who do you... 
Who, what, what section of history do you not know about? Take responsibility for your own understanding of history and go find someone who is, who, who you want to know more about and then go read a biography on them. And if there's one thing I know, it is that watching other people do hard things and doing that through the power of their story and their wisdom that empowers you to do hard things. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, the, He who walks with wise men will be wise. And I don't know about you, but I want wisdom more than anything else in this world. If I found these blue curtains on sale at Bed Bath & Beyond for 20 bucks, half off. It was amazing. I loved them. They were perfect. Great color, amazing texture, all that. And I was laying in bed staring at them one day, and I said, You know what, Lord? I still love you more than I love these curtains. And you know what? We moved apartments. And those curtains didn't fit with the new apartment. And I gave them away. You know, some people might say, oh, you wasted your 20 bucks. Nuh-uh. I enjoyed it for however many months that I had it. And then I let it go. George Mueller was a Christian in England who created orphanages, who provided for children who had no mother or father. And he is known for him and the children were sitting around the table. They had nothing to eat. And he sat down and he prayed in faith. And what do you know, but the baker in town came and said, I've been up all night baking bread for you because God told me to. And then the milkman, their cart broke down outside and they said, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all this milk because I can't get it to where it needs to go, so it's gonna go bad. It has to be drunk. So here, take all the milk. And George Mueller prayed in faith, and God put food on that table. If that's how you have to live in this season, whatever season you're going through, do not be ashamed of that. George Mueller was so faithful and generous and trustworthy in the eyes of God that millions upon millions of pounds of money went through his hands and he kept it open. He kept his hands open. He didn't cling to it. He didn't spend money unnecessarily on himself. He kept his focus on Christ and caring for those children. And George Mueller changed a generation in England. An entire generation. And so that is the beauty of if you are trustworthy in the eyes of God, you can change people's lives. And if you are trustworthy with money, money is a tool. You, and you are that much more able to benefit people's lives. Now, this is going to be difficult, not just with what you give, but also knowing when not to give. Knowing when, if you give something to someone, yes, maybe you will ease their pain in the moment, but if they don't learn from the consequences of their actions, then they will continue in their own dysfunctional cycle and you will become an enabler. That's not healthy. So we have to find if we are going to be trustworthy with money, we have to learn when to give it generously and when to hold back in faith that God is doing something that we can't see. I want to talk about poverty mindset and prosperity mindset. And 
the most extreme example of poverty mindset that I can think of is um, prisoners in World War II, um, they had food dropped down to them and they opened it up and it was chocolate bars because that, that's what they did. Um, the prisoners didn't eat the chocolate bars. They just saved it because they'd been so used to not having any food that they didn't think that they would have a sufficient supply in the future. So they just hoarded what they could get. But they didn't actually eat it. So recently, here is a, a middle-of-the-road example of poverty mindset. So I have a bowl in our bathroom that has a bunch of washcloths in it. And I really like this because, you know, if I'm in the shower, if I'm at the sink, I can just grab a washcloth and I can use it for what I need to and then, you know, dry it out, put it in the hamper, wash it, more washcloths. I've got my system very well developed. And I've also purged my clothing collection enough that laundry is no, no longer overwhelming for me to do. That was another thing I got into. I'd done so much thrifting and I had so many clothes that my dirty laundry became a dead weight around my neck and I didn't want to do laundry anymore also I my dryer had broken so I was just air drying everything and I should have just bought a dryer solved the problem created a better system because <sighs> I mean I didn't really want to go to the laundromat in South Florida but yeah and I was so low on energy at that point I was oh man God had so much grace and mercy on me I I'm so thankful I'm through that that season. So, um, but now I, I I have this bowl of of clean rolled up washcloths in my bathroom. I can grab one, use it for my face or whatever, and then dry it out, put it in the hamper. So the other day I'm taking a shower and I only had three washcloths left in the bowl. And initially the thought came through my mind of, oh, I only have three washcloths left. I won't use them. But then I thought, wait a minute, that's poverty mindset. That is the fear that I won't ever have clean washcloths ever again. When the fact is that I already have a system developed for clean washcloths to replenish that supply. Therefore, I can freely and confidently use one of those washcloths, leave two in the thing, and take care of myself and clean myself and then wash it and replenish. That's it. It was in that moment that I recognized, ah, this is poverty mindset. This is prosperity mindset. Prosperity mindset is saying, I have a system for replenishing this supply. Therefore, I'm not afraid to use what is appropriate for me to use today. Now, that's not very scientific, but that's the best I've got for this podcast. And if you've waited an entire hour plus to hear that, I hope it was worth it. Um, I've gone through a lot of pain um, with money in my life, and so I really pray to God that this is blessing you, and I know that it is. If you're listening this long, it has to have. And even if nothing sticks today except one thing, go out and apply that one thing. That's, that's all that matters. 
Money is like water. It's a tool. It's a resource. And it's nothing to be afraid of. And we, we need to go to God and ask him to take away our fear, to give us wisdom, to give us perspective. When we're able to zoom out and say, these are my basics, these are my utilities. I've got, I've got a number of girlfriends via the internet who are living in dysfunctional households of varying degrees from bearable to outright just not acceptable. And so let's say, hypothetically, let's say that you have $2,000 saved and your parents are um, extremely controlling to the point where you cannot take the mental abuse anymore and you know you need to get out. You're 18 years old and you don't have a car. You really don't have anything to your name except $2,000. So, what you need to do, and it's very, very difficult to do this, and if you are in this situation, which, if you are in this situation, I'm so sorry you're having to walk through this. No child should ever have to do this. But in some cases, this is what we have to do. And I know young women who need to make this process. So that's why I'm talking about it. So let's say you've $2,000 saved. You've no car. You're 18 years old. And you know it's time to leave. And you've prayed about it. And you just, you feel very fearful and anxious. But you know this is the right thing to do. You need to make a plan. You need to make a plan of action to find first. Let's talk, let's talk about the priorities. Shelter. Food. Clothing. Utilities. Transportation. Let me say it again. Shelter, food, clothing, utilities, and transportation. With $2,000, you really can't afford to buy a car. And you don't have a steady job, so you can't really commit to a car payment. So, you need to find public transportation. Now that you've found public transportation, you need to figure out how much that is. Let's say that you need to go to work six days a week. Let's say that you need to get on the bus three times a day because you're transitioning between part-time jobs. You need to calculate how many times you're going to be on the bus. Do you just need to pay and shell out for the monthly pass? Can you do it per trip? What do you need to do? Do you have an Aldi's nearby? What's a grocery store that's inexpensive? All of that revolves around finding a one-bedroom efficiency apartment. You know, where, where can you live for cheap? But it's also safe enough. Um, and also finding an apartment complex that isn't going to rip you off. And there's, you know, mold in the walls. Then they don't do anything about it. I mean, there are apartment complexes that are lazy like that. It happens. It's horrible. But so you've got to do 
your due diligence. And that that's hard. Um, so go online, look at reviews, look at what people say, look at the ratings and, and try and find try and find a one bedroom efficiency to live in. Or is there a family at church that you trust enough to live with and pay rent to? And even if it's only for three months, at least it's enough to get you out of the one house and get you may potentially a little bit more stable to get somewhere else. So that's that's shelter and transportation. Um, do you have a grocery store nearby? I know a really good recipe for degassing beans. You know, can you buy... Can you... Can you get... Um, a bulk bag of beans and a bulk bag of rice and there's a a microwave rice cooker it's a little plastic thing and it's got an inner lid on it so the water will boil up and then it'll come back onto the rice and you you've got a third lid that that, a, a second lid that goes on top that actually keeps everything connected and you clip it together and you put in the microwave and you know that's that's how I make rice and it's at Walmart and it's pretty cheap so, you know, rice and beans, um, salsa, some basic fruit, you know, like, yeah, $3 for um, fruit bars doesn't seem like a lot, but that's actually kind of expensive right now. So maybe you buy that once a month, make it last in your freezer for, you know, have, have one a week, spread it out, you know, you're just trying to survive work most important thing is finding work and unfortunately just the regulations on businesses these days make it so difficult people think that minimum wage is actually helping but it's not it is it is an absolute lie see businesses struggle with all the same things that that a home budget does they just have more moving parts people think that businesses are these are sitting on these big vats of money and in some cases yes that's true because they have a they have you know hundreds of thousands of employees and they need to have they need to be sitting on thousands upon thousands of dollars because thousands of people depend on them for payroll every 2 weeks yeah, they better be sitting on bucket tons of money. One of the entrepreneurs who I greatly respect, whose name is completely escaping me. I'm so sorry, dude, whoever you are. But there is an entrepreneur who does not hire someone until he has a year of their salary in the bank. That is wisdom. That's the way that I want to approach my home budget. That's the way, my goodness, do you know how much emotional stability you have when your finances are in order like that ben and i are about to finish our ten thousand dollars savings fund and we are so so grateful and you know if something goes wrong with the car we don't have to worry about it we just pay it and then we replenish the emergency fund and we get back to our house savings it's it's great it's seriously great. And it's also a lot easier to do when you have earning potential. 
Now, man, finding jobs that pay good money is hard. I, I remember. I remember. that It's really hard. But think back to the prosperity mindset. How can you create value? If you can create value for your employer, you will be worthy of a pay increase. If you can create value in a side jewelry business, in a side art business, in a side home repair business, do yard work, find extra job, help people clean their houses. If you can create value, there is plenty of work waiting to be had if you ask for it. You have to be brave and you have to ask for it. So, there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 37, and this, this whole podcast has been so challenging for some of you, I know. I'm so proud of you for getting to the end of this podcast. Um, and so I'm going to read you the entire chapter of Psalm 37 because it's a, it's just, it's one of my go-tos. And I'm trying to flip pages with one hand, so that's what's holding me up. Also, I will say that Psalm 27 says two very important things. Even though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will not forsake me. And then second... I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He wants to pour his goodness out on us. And if we are faithful to pursue him, he is faithful to us. And maybe that won't mean that we're some billionaire able to take yacht cruises. But if we live our life with wisdom, with generosity, with faithfulness, with discipline, he will Bless us and find us trustworthy. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just. And gnashes his teeth with, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, 
for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied, but the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice, and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in him. There is one more very important thing I need to talk about before we close this podcast today. Every time I have ever stolen anything, I have lost something of equal value to me. Thankfully, it wasn't ever anything particularly big, um, but I'm as ashamed of it as if it was something big. I... I take no pride in that. I I take only the life lesson of contentment, keeping my eyes to myself. I still struggle with, I still struggle with coveting. Absolutely. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. There's lots of, 
interesting, expensive, beautiful things in the world, and I want to spend money on them, and I like what other people have, and I have to keep my eyes on Christ and content with what I have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I know um, from the openness of one of my friends that she was a petty thief on a regular basis, and she hit up the same business multiple times. And in her future, she allowed a, a foothold for the enemy, and people stole from her so much money and scammed her over and over then again. And she couldn't say no because she'd allowed that stronghold of the enemy. So if you're waiting for having an extra $500 laying around to repay something that you stole... You need to stop waiting. You need to start by confessing your sin and showing up with $50 and saying, I will show up ten more, nine more times for a total of 10 payments to make up the $500 that I stole. And it's going to cost you. It's going to be painful. It's going to require sacrifice because that is a consequence That God is allowing you to experience. And while you may feel fearful in thinking about doing that, the risks of not doing it are so much greater. Because otherwise, you will continue to allow, if you know you can repay something you have stolen, and you are negligent to do it, you will continue to allow the foothold of the enemy in your life. And that will cost you way far and above beyond what you stole. The enemy is a terrible bully. He puffs us up with pride. He dares us to do things we really have no business even thinking about. And then when he do- we do them, he smashes us down with shame and says we're, we're trash. And then the cycle starts all over again where he puffs up with pride, dare, double dog dares us, and then when we do it, we, he smashes us down with shame. He's an absolute bully. Cry out to the living God. Cry out to Jesus, Yeshua, Christ, the Savior of the world. He can free you. He can and he will. And he honors a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He honors humility. He honors, when we, he honors us when we come to him and we say, Lord, I have failed you. I have sinned. I have stolen. And even if we've, if not in a financial sense, we've withheld blessing from others that we know we should have done, that is still disobedience. That is the sin of omission. So the sin of commission is when we do something wrong. The sin of omission is when we don't do what we should do, what is right. So my exhortation to you in this moment is cry out to God. Ask him to show you what to do next. Take it one day at a time, one project at a time. And he will honor that faithfulness. My name is Meg, I love my Jesus, and I believe in living inside out.
Now it's your turn. Go live it.